You don't frighten easily. I work for Ambassador Mallory. After a while, nothing bothers you. A scheming ambassador upsets the balance of power in the universe. I have billions of people calling your name. My follow-ups? Your victims. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies and first ones who have either watched the series for the whole five seasons plus or are watching for the first time and we are on episode three of season two the geometry of shadows i am scott and with me is emily evan andrew justin jesse mike and John, it is. Uh, we record these episodes a few weeks in advance, so it's the holiday season. So we have a few folks here wearing Santa hats, and Blake and Nicole are out because of holiday reasons. So they'll join us back up here next week. Before we get started with uh, the talk of the episode, a couple housekeeping notes. Just a reminder: in the show notes down below, you can find a link to our Twitter account, Facebook account, Instagram account, as well as our YouTube account. And then you can also find links to our Redbubble account, which is where you can buy merch and the Patreon, where you can be a Patreon member of ours and help support the show. The Patreon tiers start at $3 and go all the way up to producer level, which is at $20 a month. And you can see the list of our amazing producers in the show notes as well. We really appreciate everyone helping out with that. And we look forward to continuing to question why, but we appreciate you. We are absolutely worth the $3. Maybe that's a 20. <laughs> absolutely the three. And also, we continue to love it when you like, subscribe, share, and leave a review for us. Thank you, everyone who's doing that. We actually got several more reviews into Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't done that yet, even if you're not listening to us on Apple, Apple Podcasts tends to be the algorithm of choice. So if you could run over there and plug your nose, use Apple a little bit, and do a review, we would really appreciate it. Our review this week from Tim Wayne, and he says, almost perfect. Almost. I've listened to almost every B5 podcast since the audio guide to Babylon 5 started in 2014 with Chip, Erica, and Shannon. I listened to that too, Tim. Of all of them, I think I might like this one the best. The idea is great. Listen to people who have never seen the show before expound upon the episodes, the acting, the writing, and overall show themes. Hearing their impressions is a treat for someone who, like me, watched them when they came out and has, in the interviewing years, watched them more times than I can count. It's almost like watching the episode for the first time. The show is at its best when the noobs, quote, quotation marks around noobs, are talking without interruption, giving their opinions and observations. I love their predictions. Some of them have an uncanny sense of what's coming. I love when they are right. I love even more when they are very wrong. Even the chuckle nugget has very much grown on me, and the hosts get extra credit for rec uh, recruiting non-sci-fi fans to join the conversation. Good job, Jesse. <laughs> and even more credit to having so many diverse voices the show is at its worst when the host is laughing at his own jokes Yay. <laughs> here we go i hate to bring this up because some people laugh when they are nervous or insecure about public speaking i am very insecure tim very much so that said it is in the show and this is a review so it's going in i will point out tim did give a five-star review before he bashed me so i appreciate it hey. tim. His frequent, his frequent giggling at his own references is often irritating. Please stop. And this is the best part, folks. My sincere apologies if Steve, question mark, has Tourette's. And the laughter is a controllable thing. Tim, I'm sorry to tell you. I'm not Steve. And no, I don't have Tourette's. The other He's first ones are great. Awkward. The other first ones are great. Cranky, opinionated, just my kind of sci-fi people. Not afraid to call out bad writing or bad acting. 
which is a show has its spades, unfortunately. We all love this show, but it's often hit or miss, especially during season one, which is when I'm writing this review. All in all, it's a great show. I love what they're doing. I hope all the noobs stay in through the second season when the show starts picking up speed. Update. I changed my rating to five stars. Sure, this podcast isn't perfect, but I look forward to it more and more over the dozen odd podcasts I listen to, some of which are done perfectly. There's no way I can rate this less than five, given the happiness it brings me week after week, even with dudes giggling. Fair is fair. Well, I'm so glad, Tim, that my Tourette's will make you happy. Enjoy. I I think Tim's great. Yeah, Tim's great. I think and, and you... <laughs> Let's move on to Geometry of Shadows, shall we? Episode three of season two. First thing we're going to do is get the first impressions from our newbies. And we'll go with Emily first. Emily was kind of questioning if she had watched the right episode before we started recording. So hopefully she did. Emily, I did. first impressions. I did. It was actually pretty interesting. I thought the concept of the techno mages was um, kind of unique because people perceive it as magic but they know it isn't they know it's just like basically advanced science and technology so i thought that aspect was really interesting and the whole drowsy system for picking leaders was um not the most efficient system (laughs) i did even though this is an audio podcast i wore my purple in solidarity for my purple drowsy brothers who were almost spaced Let's go to Andrew next. First impressions. Yeah, I thought this episode was uh, overall pretty boring. Uh, <laughs> uh, the whole Drazi thing was pretty... Uh, I, I wasn't a really a big fan of that. Uh, I did like uh, kind of the character implications uh, for Lando uh, or the, uh, the future of the show uh, where his character might be going. Yeah, not my favorite. Justin, first impressions. If we're going to judge this in terms of like hits and misses, to me, I'll probably put it in the miss column with an asterisk, kind of like what I think should be done with Barry Bonds home run records. I, I think it was OK. Some things I like the really the only thing I got out of it was some of my favorite, you know, favorite thing, which is steaming piles of foreshadowing that we'll get to later on. But the Drazi whole Drazi thing was just like, oh, look, it's American politics in 2022. It's overall it was OK. I think probably some things that happen here may end up becoming a little bit more important later, but we'll see. I want it to be noted that it took three newbies before they made the reference that green and purple Drazi are like American uh, Americans dealing with politics right now, which is really depressing and really true. Jesse, what do you got? Is nobody can talk about how Commander Ivanova is now in charge. Like that was the coolest thing to me through the the episode. Um, not it wasn't my favorite. It was fine. <laughs> what I always say, I didn't hate it, but it was, it was just not, I mean, the Drazis are really fucking ugly. And as soon as they came on the show, I was like, oh, here we go with these ugly motherfuckers again. But other than that, it was just, it was fine. And didn't love it. Didn't hate it. I'd probably rate it like a four or five out of 10. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays too. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. John, you're up. So I actually liked this episode. I mean, it wasn't, you know, an all-timer. It's not a signs and portents, but uh, it's no surprise or shock that Londo is my favorite character. And it was a fairly heavy Londo-centric episode. So much to Andrew's point, I, I really enjoyed his character arc. I'm not a huge fan of where it's going because I'm concerned about him selling his soul for some power. But um, I enjoyed seeing it. Uh, Veer is, uh, you know, just... Every time he shows up now, it's A+. Plus. Um, I did. I agree. I think the Drazi subplot was a bit of a heavy-handed metaphor that could have been significantly cut down and just had Ivanova give that little speech that she gives about just it's a, it's a piece of cloth. Um, we could have probably halved that. Uh, but I also enjoyed the Techno Mages, um, you know, knowing, like Emily had mentioned, that, you know, it's not magic, but, you know, when he talks about it, there is a bit of magic there, you know, that being able to have such technological advances, there's some, there's something magical in there and um, almost borderline religious. Um, you know, we think about in our current life where we've come, you know, from uh, when we were babies or even our parents to where we are now. I mean, sitting here recording this podcast and doing this via zoom, um, there is something a little magical about that. So I enjoyed that. So overall I enjoyed the episode. I'd say it's more of a six or seven out of 10 myself. Um, again, not a, not a hall of famer, but not terrible. And to our first ones, Kevin. 
Well, until John spoke, I was thinking this was going to be a super hot take, but I really enjoy this episode. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think the some of the Londo stuff um, in the middle of the episode is really funny. I think the uh, the stuff with the Drazi is is a, a good storyline. Uh, William Forward does a good job in this episode as uh, as Lord Rifa, but I really enjoy seeing Michael and Sarah in this episode. He's uh, one of my favorite guests stars from a couple of different shows so I, I really enjoy this episode i'd say this is you know at least a seven for me so mike uh well i guess my hot take is i actually really don't like this episode <laughs> I, uh, Purple. green Purple. kind of Purple. <laughs> kind of understand where the whole techno mage thing is meant to be going but i think it's really goofy and i just can't get past that and i also thought the drowsy thing was a very heavy-handed metaphor that was almost a comedy relief subplot and really this episode for me besides the the foreshadowing the very beginning scene with lord rifa in lando doesn't really have much value so not a not a big winner in my book i think i'm gonna take the other scarf out of the bucket and say that i would have to somewhat agree with kevin and john that this is not something that knocks it out of the park it's not an amazing episode you're going to remember forever but i do like the themes i like that we have the idea as john already alluded to with technology and magic i always go back to my favorite sci-fi author and we've discussed him enough andrew and justin both so i'm just going to throw it out there and we'll move on so jesse doesn't kill me but arthur c clark said any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable for magic. And so I'm sure JMS borrowed that idea from Arthur C. Clarke in terms of making the techno mages. And I like the idea. I like the idea of a little fantasy brought in here, even though we're in sci-fi. And also, I like that we get to see both of our quote-unquote attaches doing the same thing in terms of having to get out there and learn more about diplomacy with both Veer and now Commander Ivanova. So I enjoyed the episode. Let's talk about the techno mages first. Besides the fact that that Michael and Sarah does a great job uh, whenever he's he's on screen and does a good job in this episode, um, I, I think the whole idea is really uh, really fun. Um, and you know, he gets the better of Lando and really knocks him down a couple of pegs. And I really thought that that was very interesting because we haven't really seen that very much up until now. And it's always kind of fun when a smooth operator uh, gets gets knocked down a couple of pegs. And that's not to say I don't like the Londo character. I do, but I thought I thought the especially the end where he's he's walking away uh, from having to sincerely apologize, and he's got a, three creatures on his back that tear up his quarters. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Michael and Sarah is one of my favorite Klingons. That's for sure from TOS and DS Nine. Bang. Yeah, Kang. Although he's he passed a, away before we could do the, the multi Klingon episodes, but yeah, he's I, did, I didn't know he awesome was Kang. Okay. Yep. You can tell by the voice if you listen to the voice and listen to Kang either in TOS or in DS9, it catches on. John, what do you got? I'll piggyback on the acting. I thought the the character, you know, in the wrong hands, that very easily could have been some cheesy role, but I thought the way it was portrayed gave it a sense of gravitas that probably didn't deserve, to be honest. And as much as I, like I said, I. I agree and enjoy and actually kind of believe the same thing with technology being, you know, uh, magical for lack of a better word. So I, that really interested uh, me. However, I, the problem I had was, you know, when he was talking to Sheridan and he was talking about basically, uh, he made mention of two, two reasons why they were leaving or what they were going is that they didn't um, want their own secrets, right. Or knowledge and understanding um, to be lost and then the second part was, or to have it taken and misused. So the second one I can get, I can get down with, right? You don't want this to fall into the wrong hands. Cool. But the first one, I don't want it to get the lost. I thought then their mission kind of defeats the purpose, unless I miss something, in which case it's not really a suicide mission, but they do plan on coming back, but they somehow think maybe their tech will allow them to live longer. So he said, you know, hopefully you won't see us in your lifetime, which means that at least a few decades, they'll be gone. And they're just going out beyond the rim and, you know, I don't know, living it up. And then I guess maybe they're planning to come back. I, just, I thought it was more like, we're going to go out amongst the stars and you'll never see us again. And in which case I thought, well, then your first point is kind of moot because then no one's, 
you know, your secrets are, are going to die with you anyways. Otherwise, again, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it was another instance where the budget for season two made it possible. I don't think we would have been able to get that in season one with the, you know, projections and, and everything that came with it. So I thought it was pretty dope. We even got the um, additional budget of being able to see inside Sheridan's office. So, you know, just little stuff like that where they're starting to spend some money. Even though it does look like 90s money, they're still spending some money. Justin. I think to kind of go off of what John was talking about, he did specifically mention at one point that the reason why they're leaving is because there's dark times coming and they don't want to get caught up in it, basically. So they're going to leave until everything calms back down and then they can come back and be in, be involved in the galaxy again. So I just think that's another kind of foreshadowing of the dark times that are kind of coming up here within the show and everything like that. And I, it, it's to me, I think they're interesting. Like I kind of hope we do see them again at some point uh, because like, to me, they come, come across for the D and D fans out there. They come across as like the, kind of like those mage bards who go around and perform tricks for people and stuff like that, because I thought it was kind of cool. They call themselves dreamers, shapers, singers, and makers. So I thought that it's kind of a very interesting thing to exist in the future. I hope they do come back and, you know, during the dark times to kind of help things out. So we'll see. Kevin. The other thing I wanted to say uh, about uh, this episode is that, you know, it was interesting to see Garibaldi's recovery in this episode, have him come back into the fold. He seemed like he was in a really dark place when Sheridan went to his quarters. You know, you, you, loading and unloading your your pistol doesn't seem like uh, he was in a very good place. So it's it's nice by the end of the episode that you can tell he's, he's going to be back in the fold. And it was interesting to me where they portrayed the the wound on his back that he got he got shot in the in the lower part you know on on one side he didn't even didn't even get shot center mass it just doesn't make sense that that uh he would get uh jack would have missed that poorly but i guess i guess maybe you don't have to with the magical ppgs but i like that they found a way to uh, to show that Garibaldi is good at his job and able to to still uh, be a contributor to uh, to the station. Are you aim shame, shaming, sir? Yes, I am. You doing? You're, you're okay. Just checking. John, what do you got? Yeah, I want to go back to the techno majors uh, real quick. Is so they left me with a question that I was curious what the rest of you thought about, which was: so this is another species or or whatever you want to call it that a group of beings that clearly has some sort of foresight can see what's coming knows about the shadow understands the conflict that is quickly approaching and yet their answer is what is to just leave and to say well you know we don't want to deal with this and so i wonder what uh, you know others are thoughts about the responsibility of that right if you know what's coming and especially the very ominous billions of victims that he that he tells Lando about um, to then not do anything and absolve yourself of any sort of involvement or help seems to be blunt, kind of shitty. Before anyone answers that, but I think it's a good question, but to answer your first question, they're not a species. They're, and JMS answered this on the Usenets back in the day. They're a group of individuals from multiple species that have learned to master technology in a way like this. So it's a, it's a, a guild more than a species. To John's point, that's one of the things that rubs me wrong about this episode and about the, the concept of the Technomages. Like, I, I get the whole Arthur C. Clarke thing and magic and technology becoming indistinguishable. I just don't like how it's portrayed in Babylon 5. It feels really clowny <laughs> that these guys go around basically pretending to be wizards in, in this future place. And then to John's point, it, it does bother me that they have we'll say vastly uh, superior technological skills compared to everyone else. Uh, and that they're a not using it to help anybody and B that they seem to know a lot more about what's going on in the universe than the average person. And instead of banging drums and alerting people of the coming darkness, their solution is to have a quick meeting on B5 and then bounce the, the beyond <laughs> to, to come back later to whatever's left. And, you know, likewise, they kind of double down on that foresight thing with that that ending scene between Elric and Londo, where he basically says, "Yeah, your future is going to suck. You're going to be a shitty dude. Good luck with that." And then that's that's it. 
and so it it does it does bug me and then again i think that's a big reason why i have a an issue with this episode and with the, the mages and that whole presentation so I, I got something i want to add to that mike but i gotta talk to you and kevin once the newbies leave so justin sorry go ahead i just think you know to me i guess maybe the reason why they don't really say anything is i mean if 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 a birthday clown came up to you on the street and said the end is nigh would you believe them? And I think well, that's maybe, you know, maybe that's kind of because they are highly advanced. Maybe a whole lot of people don't know the fact that they are kind of maybe clairvoyant in a way. But if if all they do is, you know, parlor trick imagery and stuff like that, like everybody knows it's all technology based. Everybody knows it's not really magic. Maybe people just aren't going to take them seriously. I don't know. Well, and I think that's another big reason why I have a problem not with the idea of what they're trying to get across conceptually but with how it's presented with b5 and the dudes pretending to be wizards because it's like okay like you could impress anybody with your technology if you just came out and and were straight with it like people basically seem to know what the pages are but then they come around and they again they act like circus clowns like you just said it they act all clowny by doing stuff like i cast a spell of bit decompression on you (laughs) like it's ridiculous like they could they could be straight with people and actually have respect (laughs) be taken seriously he said to londo i could tell you but you wouldn't change so i'm guessing that that plays a big part in it like i don't know anybody that's ever worked with people like you can tell them all day long the way to go but that doesn't mean that they're gonna take your advice and change their ways so that that may be true but it's like okay well i could help you try to kick your drug habit but i know you're not going to so i'm just not going to try does that okay but if you do it sure but if you do it 17 times you're going to continue to do it the 18th 19th 20th if you're a substance abuse counselor absolutely right but a normal like a normal person may or may not and maybe they've done maybe they've tried before you know i i've never seen this show before so i don't know if you know but yeah, i don't know how this ends um, <laughs> that's but- a fair point but we're but we're talking about technology here and i think if they sure. i feel like they would be able to prove their point to somebody to be taken seriously it seems pretty clear they're worried about their powers being misused so that seems to be why um at least 50 percent of why they're going away i still want to figure out what birthday clowns justin sees that has holographic (laughs) monsters because uh i've never seen that kind of birthday party but it sounds kind of badass well and i think that that's how kosh is isn't it like kosh killed a whole person because she was gonna go somewhere and tell somebody something and this, sorry, this was like 18 episodes ago. I don't even remember who it was or what it was. Death Walker. Death Walker. Yeah. But like, Kosh, that's how Kosh is. Kosh is like, I know a lot about a lot and I'm not going to help you, but I'll just kill somebody. Like, well, so I guess to your point, then to me, the, the, the techno mages are more like Kosh in this regard and they should have the technology and the ability to not try to convince anybody, but just to just take action and make them see the truth, you know? I don't know what truth they're trying to hide um you know because they kind of it was very vague right like it was like oh i know stuff about things i know things like i drink a lot and i know things like i'm sorry (laughs) it's true like (laughs) so what are we hiding like you're just gonna go off and maybe they are doing i don't know i don't know what they're doing i was completely confused most of the time when they were talking so i'll tell you what they're not doing they're not warning anyone about the shadow threat that they clearly know is coming you're not saying anything. That's my I'm point. Orlando, mm-hmm. shit. They told somebody, okay? At the very least, and that literally is the very least, you could just broadcast that message to any who wants to listen. Hey, look, before we bounce, check it out. Here's what's coming. Do with that what you want. That's literally the least you could do. So if you do something, you're bad. And if you do nothing, you're bad. So what what would you like to happen? Doing something is good. Doing something is is helping out the billions of Londo's victims that are- But that's not how you felt. And I, okay, so let's, sorry, Emily. I don't care what you have to say. (laughs) 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 Let's let's talk about that. Because I was wondering if he knew- about when he had like 10,000 Narn killed. Were we talking about those victims? Um, yeah. I don't know. I a pretty big black mark on my dude Londo, and I'm not really happy to deal with the devil. And this episode seems to have him doubling down on that shit. It's making me very concerned, Kiss, for my ability to remain a fan as we keep moving. 
this is absolutely the first time where we've seen Londo before Londo has told us to the camera that he doesn't care about himself. He cares about his people and he wants the empire to come back. Now Londo cares about himself and he wants to be a part of it. We saw that with, with Lord Rifa today. So Emily, you had had your hand up quietly for some time now. Yeah. I've actually been wondering if they didn't warn anyone because it would cause a panic. I mean, you tell the, like, if you tried to announce this, you have all these separate groups that are already struggling to get along. And then you tell them this other shadowy group is coming and that they're going to start some shit. Like, are are any of these gun- groups going to act rationally? Or are they all going to panic, freak out, and then it somehow is worse? Wow. So if... Is there like a surprise aspect to it? What maybe encourages the groups to work together against the shadow group instead of like, who knows what they might do otherwise. I'm just thinking that it might be, we don't know, like we're at least for us new ones, we don't know the information that these mages have. So this might be the better option. It might be a shit option, but it might be the better of the shit. (laughs) Well, and I guess I and I and I guess probably one thing I forgot about was didn't the Earth government like order Sheridan to kind of like find out why they're leaving and where they're going mm-hmm. and want want that all that information so then you know what maybe they you know you know what maybe their reasons for leaving are legit you know by by saying you know what we don't we don't know what they they don't trust anybody they don't trust anybody with their knowledge or their technology so they're just going to remove it from the playing field i'm gonna, if i'm going to take my ball and go home and if they're that far advanced and they're afraid of this group coming in i don't know i feel like that alone should have been quite a big signal like without announcing anything and causing a panic like hey they're really technologically advanced and they're hauling ass out of here maybe we should try to figure out what's happening. So Mike and I seem to be the only one who thinks there's a responsibility that comes with knowledge. (laughs) Well, now does Londo hold a responsibility because he was warned? Yes. And unfortunately he seems like a super dick right now. He's only worried about himself. He's probably not going to share the fact that he's going to have billions of victims. Yes, let's did he say billions because I didn't hear billions. He He said billions. billions? He said, said, I hear billions of people, your victims. And mm-hmm. shitty is Lando got another one. And, oh, my followers? Like, come on, man. Don't do this to me. Like, do not turn away from the awesome guy that you were and be this egotistical, power-hungry dick. Was he awesome? That's a question. Yes, he was awesome. <laughs> That's the downside of having six penises. Right. <laughs> it's to me, you know, it just always makes you think, you know, what's your responsibility with, like, I mean, come on, it's Spider-Man, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And so at the very least, you have this now, and they're not the only one, by the way. They're not the only one. Anyone who has the ability and the, the the knowledge of what's to come has a responsibility to help those out. Otherwise, you're just a selfish asshole. And I hope bad things happen to you and all your peoples. Yeah, I mean, I think Kosh playing judge, jury, and executioner is definitely over the line. But I think you know these guys with their technology and their information could go out and be activists. I think that's a that's a really big difference between those two things. Who was talking about time travel, Jonathan? What? And the butterfly effect and all of that stuff. Like, what if he, what if telling them changes, throws some in alternate universe into whatever words, words, Jonathan? <laughs> what if it messes with the timeline? I will, I will play your game, but understand then that means it could be for every, oh no, now it'll be worse perhaps. There's also a, oh no, it could be much better. And like everyone could be saved. Mm. So, again, it's, it's the gamble I suppose you take in anything. And not to mention, we've mentioned that this is the holiday season, and this is like the exact opposite of the Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> they could have given Sheridan Holmes half a clue, because apparently he figures out everything, which we can talk about <laughs> like later, which we've mentioned previously in an episode. But God, I hope they change that note, because they are hitting it the same way every episode. That's a, that's Jam. I, I don't know. I can't speak on the whole thing. Because again, I haven't seen it, but that seems to be JMS's go-to. Like he, he, you know what I mean? Like the hero has to know everything and he's going to save the day every single freaking time. Like let somebody else step in for a second. I'll tell you who's the real hero. 
And he came back with a flourish unlike any other. And that's my dude coming in hot with the cake and waiting for Garibaldi to come back. My man sat on cake for two days. That's willpower. The likes of which the rest of these characters have no clue. Blue Welch, the hero we need and the hero we deserve. Amen. Anything else on the Techno Mages and Orlando? I will point out with, because uh, you guys also mentioned Garibaldi, I think it's important to note, I mean, Je- Jesse, you were just saying how the hero has to know everything, but I think Sheridan handled walking in on what looked to be Garibaldi contemplating suicide pretty damn well. Didn't really bring it up, put the gun in the holster, but just talked yeah. about how, hey, there's something for you to do here. We'll wait for you. Take your time. Didn't really talk about it all, but Garibaldi was definitely playing with that gun very ominously. Uh-huh. But it was, I, I wrote down, it was interesting. He's finally asking himself the same question yes. for 23 episodes. Are you even good at your fucking job? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but he is good at his job. And that's exactly like he saved the day today. Well, he saved Ivanova's day today. So speaking of Ivanova, let's talk about yes. that plot. The Ivanova Drazi plot. Uh, we go. <laughs> Emily, you go first. <laughs> it was frustrating because mm-hmm. I felt like she's more competent than that and more aware than that. And it felt like it made her just seem not that smart. Like they were absolutely explaining that they have this ludicrous system of like picking whatever. And I felt like they, they made her character take too long to get it. <laughs> And I don't know if that's just because it's an absolutely ludicrous system that makes no sense. So it like doesn't register that that's actually what they're saying. I don't know. I was kind of frustrated by that part, but I'm glad she got promotion. That was cool. I feel like that's what they were going for. I think it was meant to be clever and it came off to me as just stupid. (laughs) (laughs) It's stupid, but God, isn't it really what we're seeing today with the tribalism? Honest to God, put an R next to somebody's name, put a D next to somebody's name. He's purple. He's green. The end. I'm sorry. That's I mean, oversimplification. And a lot of, because, but in a lot of cases, there's not really, again, a whole lot of difference between the two sometimes. So. I, I, I'll disagree 100% with that, but that's for another day. Oh, I've got something to say about this. Go ahead, Jonathan. In the beginning, it was a pretty heavy-handed metaphor. I mean, Ivanova's speech there about just the, the cloth I mean, they could have said that way earlier and, and wrapped that up, except for the fact that we'll point out um, to Emily's point about, you know, Ivanova kind of seeing, I guess, dumber in that instance. Right. So we have this. Here's another race of beings that have a culture or a um, set of customs or whatever that's to them, whether you agree with it or disagree with it or understand it or care about it or think it's important or ludicrous or whatever. It's theirs. And it's just another instance where it's just immediately dismissed. Like, oh, this is stupid. I cast judgment on you. We're humans. We're awesome. And we know what's right. And you're being dumb. So you need to change. And you need to just eliminate what you're doing. Um, Having said that, I thought the easy solution was we just watched Jesse's favorite episode, TKO, not that long ago. There is a built-in arena. They could just do battle all they want. And it would be out of the show. They just just go to the Kumite spot, get your freak on, figure out who's car wins, move on. Everybody win wins. I don't understand why there was a problem. They could raise, they could earn some money paying this, like you know, people pay to watch that. There's there's something beautiful about taking underlying like moral and religious beliefs out of the equation and just drawing a color and beating the shit out of one another until only one person stands up. <laughs> yes. like, I, like let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in. I'm. I'll put on the green right now. Let's see who. Which one of you got the balls to put on the purple? Purple, <laughs> Jesse. <laughs> are you putting on the purple? I'll put the purple on. Um. So you guys, you guys compared it to American politics. I saw it in a different light as growing up in the '90s. The gang issues that we mm-hmm. had then and still have today in some areas, but like the red versus blue. Chris first blood, you know what I mean? It's, it's exactly the same thing to me where you just pick a handkerchief and all of a sudden you hate each other. And I thought there was a really interesting um, comparison that he made or they made to the American flag and to the flags in general, like it's a piece of cloth. And because you, you know, pledge allegiance to this piece of cloth, all of a sudden you allegedly hate others with other different pieces of cloth. So I saw it in the light of like more, um, gang issues because literally there is no difference from one block to another 
um, except for what color you chose. Yeah. And they wrapped it up kind of sloppily, if you will. Um, right. So if, if everyone follows whoever's got the commander scarf, don't you think the commander wants to hold on to that scarf? Like how, she just went walked up to multiple like draws. Like, oh, I took it. And I, I was just like, oh man, now we have to follow you. And it was like, oh, what a way to really wrap that up. Yeah. Right. Jane, that was yeah. weird. Yeah. Again, really I just have a problem with it, like being comedic because it's such an oversimplification of all of it. I mean, we all like from a from a perspective, yeah, gangs stuff is just you know one club versus another club, but there's more to it. I mean, socially, it's about protection. It's about hello turf. Sure, and that you're 100 percent right. Arbitrary, I guess, is my point. It's about there's who you lot. align with. It's diplomacy on the street level. Right, but one one kid comes from. 101 main and another kid comes from 103 main like they're 100 percent agree that it is about family you know there's lots of layers to that but these kids are growing up right next to each other oh i get it you know what i mean like that it just you know with the with the difference in politics and the i won't even get into that because one i can't two i don't want to but um you know the gangs are just a more you know boiled down to the more simplified where you chose what gang what you know and it is what turf but some of those turf straw lines literally right next to each other they're you know one one block here you know three blocks down it's a completely different gang so it was to me it was more telling like i didn't even draw the politics um tie-in there like i didn't even think about american politics when they were doing that you say the same thing about borders right so what does it mean to be yeah. a so within 20 feet. If I'm born on one side, I am assigned a persona one way and uh, right. it's given to me. And then literally right across what I can see, it's entirely different. And to their point about the flags, now you could potentially be my enemy simply because, you know, I don't know, your mom moved over to get in the shade to have, to have you. And now we're enemies. I mean, none of it yeah. makes sense. It's not that I didn't or couldn't appreciate JMS, what he was trying to say. It's just, uh, you know, I think Mike's alluded to very heavy handed and it was just very overly simplified. Over the top. Great. Yeah. Even even like in the episode, I, I really can't disagree with with that view. It is it is pretty heavy handed. It is oversimplified, but I I don't think that takes away from the message that he's that he's putting out there in this episode, trying to uh to trying to show it as uh ridiculous and that you know humanity should try to aspire to something better but i don't see that getting better anytime soon unfortunately nothing makes sense and no one knows what they're doing <laughs> so can we uh go back to londo just real quick no we may not yes go for it <laughs> um so first of all well i just wanted to because there were a couple of things with that that uh, we didn't go over the first of which is was, of course, he has a giant oil painting of himself hanging up in his room, which I both <laughs> hated that I don't have my own in my own home. I'll remedy that. Um, but also in that storyline, I mean, again, I, I said it in my first take, but I mean, big ups to Veer uh, in general. That character is hilarious and um, a nice, hopefully, as we keep going, more important little birdie on Londo's shoulder to try to tell him. Hey man, you're fucking this up. I need you to come back and be normal and stop making the easy decisions or stop making the selfish decisions and figure your shit out. So um, I enjoyed his comedic timing and I enjoyed what I hope is the beginning of um, a mirror to Londo's future actions that again, are really turning me off. It's getting hard to defend him. Did anyone notice uh, the, the good acting by Steven first in the, epi- in the, uh, in the scene with, uh, Lord Rifa, where they're talking about the possibility of treason, and he's in the middle of the shot and kind of in the background with a horrified look on his face. And I, I, I continue to to agree with Scott about Stephen First. I think that his acting is profoundly good, and I really, I really like the Veer character quite a bit. Emily, I also thought this was a good episode for Veer um, when we first met him, I wasn't sure about his comedic effect, but I really appreciated that when he was trying to contact one of the technomages and he looked scared, but he was still standing there like, well, shit, this is my job. Gotta do it. And the mage was like, 
you don't scare easy. And he's like, ah, I work for the ambassador. I'm not afraid of anything anymore. And I was just like, what has this man seen? Like, what else has he seen that we haven't seen where this isn't scaring him away yet? So, yeah, I did think it was a good episode for Veer as well. That's why I thought the comedic value of this episode was was really good. I mean, there's a there's a couple of different aspects of the episode that are really funny, and that that's definitely one of them. the uh, The amount of uh, revenge that the Technomage gets on Londo is very funny. You now own five hundred and fifty one shares of Butterflies Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> on second thought, let's go talk to the Technomages. Surprised you haven't I... brought it up yet, Scott. But Ooh. so in uh, in the first interaction between the Drazi and, and Ivanova. I was going to uh, bring it up next episode. Uh, there, Feel free. Okay. Yeah, I I read just read this recently, so I was I'm happy to chip in with a fun fact. Yes. Uh, the fact that the uh, Ivanova walks around in the rest of the episode with a cast on her leg is because she actually injured her foot in an offset accident, and they had to write around it. They actually changed a couple of things, so we will see Ivanova in a cast because she Claudia is in a cast, but also. In the original script, Garibaldi did not come to save the day. Ivanova got herself out, going back to agency of Ivanova. But because Claudia couldn't do any stunts, they had to write Garibaldi into saving the day on that part of the episode as well, too. I actually liked that because I felt like it helped him feel more yes. confident in his job. Yeah. Like, I, it would have been nice to see her have the independence, but I think for where his character was and after having, you know, his second in command shoot him in the back i think for him to be able to demonstrate that he is competent was good for his character not like anyone is going to uh question her competence any anyhow i mean she's clearly you know a fantastic officer so yeah. you know, in this in this context i think it ended up uh, in a in a really good place it exercised his demons. <laughs> As uh, somebody on this podcast, and not the only one, who has sold vacuum cleaners door to door, I had flashbacks when Garibaldi was doing his door to door sale. Really well, was. it's hilarious that he's basically doing a you know a Looney Tunes bit with it. Too. Well, it's his second favorite thing in the universe. Right, exactly. So it makes sense. Did anyone? get a serious smarmy asshole um vibe from the uh the green drazi leader yes <laughs> oh my god he will come back he's one of the main alien actors uh and which by the way you know we didn't mention this either again going back to budgets every one of those drazis if you look at them had a different head sculpt they didn't do that in season one they actually had about 12 different actors that they did uh, sculpts of, and they will use those actors as different aliens throughout the show in order to make sure that each one of them looks a little different. So they put some time and effort into just having a whole bunch of Drazi. Last thing I'll say that, uh, so I wasn't a fan of, it just, it was odd and I thought misplaced, but um, Sheridan's little monologue to nobody at the very end that closed the episode. I was like, what the hell was that? I did that think was that actually, was very contrived. That was actually brought up on the Usenets because <laughs> JMS had to defend himself. He was not doing a monologue to himself. He was doing a monologue to the tech who just walked off screen, but because of editing and bad editing, they didn't show you he was still talking to that guy. <laughs> so it made it even more weird. <laughs> May have still been contrived, but it was bad editing. <laughs> I love the fact that, you know, JMS defends himself 30 years ago and we, we bring it up now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's good stuff. Okay, let's go to questions and predictions. And for those who are new to us, our uh, newbies have not watched anything past Geometry of Shadows. So they're going to give their questions that are lingering after this episode and then any predictions they may have of what's to come. So we'll go to John first. Question and predictions. Was Garibaldi just joking about when he made the intimacy joke with Ivanova? Um, you know. It seemed like a joke, but it would be cool or potentially interesting if uh, maybe they smashed uh, in the past. Other question. So would the Technomages really, or anyone, I guess you should say, really have to tell anyone, whether it's the crew of Babylon 5 or anyone where they're going? Right. So if I'm, if I'm like when I stop in at the gas station, I don't have to tell the clerk where I'm going. I just get to go. All right. See ya. Thank you for you know, the, the biz. And I'm out. Um, especially when they talk about Earth specifically, yet again, showing how awesome the humans are. Like... <laughs> Why do they have to, you know, who, like, not for nothing, who the fuck are they? They can, these people can go wherever they want. <laughs> I don't answer to you. I don't know if that's a question or a comment, but. 
Uh, I will answer it, I think. And this is, I, I don't have anything in writing, but unlike some of the other races, the Technomages didn't use their own uh, gate technology, so they had to use the jump gate. I'm thinking that was why they had to do it, because they had to have clearance to use the jump gate. And there you go. Pretty That's common for them to have to file some sort of flight fl- flight plan, I would imagine. Yeah. I just say, yeah. I'm going to that's that's where the end of our conversation should be. Where are you going? Beyond the rim. All right. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I kind of took it like you're right. They probably have the right to go wherever they want without telling anybody where they're going, as long as they have their own ship and their own crew and their own supplies. But doesn't stop, you know, the Earth people from like wanting to know. <laughs> oh yeah, they want all the tea always. I get that. Uh, okay, last question I've got. So, uh, again, congrats, big ups of Annabelle. She's made uh, commander, which is what Sinclair was. Um, shared as a captain. So, I guess my question is, is anyone going to fill in as the new lieutenant commander? We'll see people bump up in the hierarchy. We're going to get a new character. Um, I'm sure it's something you're going to go, yeah, we might talk about it beyond the rim, but. We might. Yeah, awesome. Uh, those are the lovely <laughs> questions I have. Predictions. Um, so, I think, uh, you know, the I think Lando's arc who's going to get darker before it gets brighter. I've said it a couple of times now. I think in the end he'll be a hero, maybe not the hero and he'll go back on his pledge to Morden. And I think he'll do the right thing, but I think it's going to get real dark. And I think he's going to go in some real bad places with some real bad choices um, to, to prop up his own ego and sense of self and ambition, which is both a bummer, but also awesome because a good character arc and it will leave me interested. Um, my other prediction is basically just the same stuff from before about, about where this is going. I mean, when they talked about the, the shadow and it's coming, I mean, I think, again, that's going to be the real the big bad for this season. I love how you keep saying how it's going to get brighter for Londo and every episode it gets just a little bit darker. Well, listen, here's, so here's what I'm basing this on, right? So one, he seems to be in the B5 community. I'm not the only one who likes Lando. He seems to be a beloved character. You generally, and not always, but you generally don't become a beloved character if you're Hitler. So I assume he will have a redemptive arc somewhere in here. Again, I think it would get bad, but I think it'll get good. It could not it could be Heisenberg from in the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? In which case, I'm also interested to see that. Oh man, a lot of people like Daenerys in Game of Thrones, and look how that turned out. So. I was told not to talk about Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse yelled at me last week. No, oh, it's you know what? Fuck off, everybody! <laughs> Every last one of you guys. You guys yeah. go into fucking twenty-minute tangents and then yell at me about like, oh, don't get too long in your responses. No, everybody can kiss my ass right now. Go ahead. Since everyone needs to kiss your ass now, let's talk about your questions and predictions. I don't have any. I don't want, I I don't have any. And my only prediction is I don't, I don't agree with John about Londo. I don't think that he's going to do the right thing. I think he's going to just keep covering his ass until it, until he doesn't have a choice to do the right thing. And then it just jumps up and fucks him up. And then I'm sure he continues on in the show. Like everything's sunshine and rainbows. That's my prediction. Justin. Um, I mean, I, I'm torn on Londo, to be honest. I think I think he'll probably come back and um, I think, quote unquote, do the right thing or kind of realize, because it's not the first time in body language and facial expressions that you've seen. He's, he's starting to, I think, regret his choices. And I hope that maybe he'll come do the right thing and kind of turn his back on the shadow people or the Zaha Doomies, um, as I'm calling them in my notes. And then lastly, just I apologize, Jesse, one last dig at Scott. Arthur C. Clarke stole it from H.G. Wells. Drop the mic. <laughs> Not really, but sure. Okay. <laughs> Truly didn't, but fine. <sighs> Sigh. Okay, Andrew, tell us about how 2001's a good movie while you're at it, since Jesse's already <laughs> picking up people. Uh, it is a good movie, but... I, I, for my uh, prediction, I kind of want to sort of meet in the middle between John and Jesse. I feel like uh, it'll get to a point where uh, those two billion people or whatever the number was, uh, those like they'll all be killed. And then only then will uh, Londo see like, oh, shit, I fucked up and then kind of try to reconcile for it. But, you know, of course, two billion people by then it'll be too late. And then another prediction is that the techno mages will return not because they want to but because they have to emily questions predictions yeah this falls under question 
So when I was trying to rewatch season one, I noticed that Londo narrated The Gathering, the very first one. And I'm wondering if this story is like him telling the story of what happened and how like his actions led to whatever this great war is. And maybe his actions are more doing more to set the stage for this coming war that, I mean, we know it's coming. We've been told in various different ways. And I'm just wondering if his actions are doing more to set those events in place than maybe the other characters. I don't know if we were, if now this is the episode we were allowed to, but I finally watched the intro for the first time. And, uh, that line there at the end is like the last Babylon station ever. Not great. Not great. I think going back to what Emily said on the gathering, Londo said it was the last of the Babylon stations as well, too. Yeah. Doesn't bode well for the series finale. I will say the reason why we were asked you guys not to watch the opening credits. Now, HBO Max did fine, but some the DVDs did not. And the DVDs showed Delenn with her hair right before every episode when that was not the case when it originally aired. When it originally aired, that showed what HBO Max shows. And then also, by the way, next week, uh, you will see on the HBO Max that uh, it is Commander Ivanova, not Lieutenant Commander Ivanova. So they do update the credits as they go throughout here now too. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. We will let our newbies go and we will then answer their questions, predictions beyond the rim with Kevin, Mike, and I. We will be here next week to talk a distant star and please remember to like subscribe and share and hit the notify button if you're listening on youtube and leave us a review because that really does help us even if you're diagnosing me of diseases you can definitely still leave a review tim i i love you even though you're of questionable knowledge but it's okay I still love you. He okay. gave us five stars. That's all that matters. He actually had to go back and give us five stars. So I do appreciate that. He but can again, insult us all day long if you give us five stars. <laughs> whoever would like to diagnose any other mental uh, disabilities that any of the cast may have, feel free to leave us a review Apple. on Apple. <laughs> on a whole episode by itself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so until next week, when we talk a distant star, I have been Scott and with me as always has been. Emily. Kevin. Andrew. Justin. Jesse. Mike. The Chugga Nugget. The Up Chugga Nugget. Your boy, John. Your boy. <laughs> if, anyone wanna, if anyone would like to diagnose John, you can do so. <laughs> At Apple Review. Anti personality disorder. Oh. Let's start there. Hey, Justin. <laughs> Again, just feel free to use an Apple Review to diagnose John. Got Enjoy. It. Okay. <laughs> Oh, look, I laughed at my joke again. Shit, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's just because you're so funny. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. I am here with Kevin and Mike to talk about all the questions and predictions our newbies had after Geometries of Shadows, which, uh, as you heard, they didn't have too many, but we're going to dive into them real quick here. So first off was John, and do the Technomages have foresight? And Mike, you and I were just discussing this. Tell me what you know. So for what I was able to gather, because I did a little bit of offline research in the wikis, and I don't know if this comes from uh, books as a source or what, but the the explanation given that I found is that the original Technomages, which were not called Technomages, uh, but they were shadow technology augmented beings. And so I guess the, the 
the, the TLDR is that the, basically the shadows created what would eventually become techno mages. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I we know the Vorlons and shadows have played around on almost all the races, so that makes perfect sense. Yeah, but I don't think to, they were meant to be like like uh, agents of chaos that would go forth and just you know sow calamity in it before the shadows came and swept it away. Which is why they want to get the hell out of Dodge before the shadows start trying to utilize them. Yeah, and I think and I think the the story goes that the original intent or the original group that was created rebelled, and then they went on and you know formed the order of the Techno Mages that kind of became a Knights Templar sort of deal. Yeah, well, and I I still don't think they have foresight per se, but I think they have more knowledge based on just they are more in tune with what's going on across the galaxy and they know that there's shadow tech out there because they probably come across it and so they also probably know that there are shadows around i mean we will find out in next season or maybe this season i can't remember now we will find out that with a little bit of fine tuning to your cameras you can pick up shadows so i wouldn't doubt if the techno mages know that the shadows are even on babylon 5 right now because mr morden's still around kicking so. Yeah, that that part definitely does check out. The thing that I guess throws me for a little bit of a loop, and and others picked on it as well, is is uh, was it Elric? Was that his name? Yes. Uh, but his conversation with Londo and his prediction for what trajectory Londo's future is going um, seemed a little on the nose to be a guess, and that to me really did imply a level of foresight, future knowledge. You know, I'm gonna bring up another awesome sci-fi author that justin can tell me is not as good as hg wells and that's isaac asimov and the foundation series i can almost see uh the techno mages as using the same kind of psycho history that the foundationists use and arnie selden use and that is basically the idea of if you have enough math if you have enough understanding of how societies move you can basically math out what's going to happen next and I can absolutely see the techno mages kind of playing that game too. And yeah. I have no doubt that JMS read Foundation, since it's one of the seminal sci-fi books of and, all time. And perhaps they can, for lack of a better term, maybe they can sense the shadows' connection to Londo if they leave shadow residue on him, or if they see shadows following him around or something, and they kind of know mm -hmm. who he is and what he is to them. That very well could be it too. They could just see there's a shadow following behind Londo because I wouldn't doubt that there is. So let's keep on going here. So why don't the Techno Mages warn the galaxy about the shadows? The reason why I said I wasn't going to talk about it in the normal chat is because we kind of get the answer from Galen in Crusade. And I cannot remember when he said it because I've only seen Crusade a couple times. But absolutely, he says that um, the Techno Mages were basically uh, narcissists who felt like they knew what's best for the galaxy and no one else is as smart as as important as them so they just said I'm taking my toys and going home and that's why Galen stuck around because he didn't agree with them so that's kind of the answer I got the other thing that I'll mention about that is that it would have been bad if the techno mages had warned everybody too early that was something that came up later that uh, particularly Jakar was uh, conflicted about, if you can call it that, because Delenn tells him, I'm sorry, we couldn't tell you, we couldn't warn you, because if we had, the whole the whole war may have gone very badly and we could have lost because we weren't ready yet. And so, no, the Technomages don't have to leave and don't have to not uh, help with the coming war, but it would have been bad if they had warned everybody first. Uh, is Garibaldi just joking about his suggestive intimacy with Ivanova? I think Garibaldi just is a walking HR nightmare. So <laughs> I, I, I think it was just a joke. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no evidence that they've had an intimate relationship. Is anyone going to get promoted to Lieutenant commander? We're not going to see anyone promoted to Lieutenant commander, but we are going to see a character that we've already seen in the background take more of a role not like a leading role but a, a decent role and that is corwin who's played by josh cox who we've seen in cnc he'll always just be a lieutenant corwin but we're gonna see him more interacting with ivanova and mainly ivanova and cnc so i think he's gonna be our number three guy moving forward yeah i mean there's there's been other times when they've alluded to off-screen characters a major here or there i mean you can figure that there's other um 
other officers that are going to be taking taking on other roles but there's really no other new character that comes up other than the one that they've already uh debuted at the beginning of the episode not done much with up until now and that's the uh the kefir character mm-hmm. i really like corwin too corwin's always that naive guy who yeah. fall, who doesn't get sarcasm when he starts popping up more i enjoy him yeah, he has a good arc. You know, they're they're not sure if he's going to uh, play ball, and then he mm-hmm. finally does. And it, yeah, he's a good character. I like I like where he goes. Uh, predictions: Lando's arc will get darker and very dark before it gets brighter. The yep. shadow is a big bad. Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Lando will have uh, a redemption, but it's going to come at his sacrifice of his life. So. It is what it is. We will see an ebb and flow. I mean, Londo will have good days and bad days, but unfortunately for Londo, there'll be more bad days and good days from here on out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how John feels about his arc uh, in in it and after he gets through it, because uh, I think he'll enjoy it in the end, but he's going to have some dark days for himself, too, going forward. <laughs> Okay, so now we have Justin, who had a prediction Londo will be back, come back and do the right thing. He is starting to regret his choices. He will turn his back on the shadows. Again, he Not will, yet. but nowhere near yet, guys. There's so yeah, much. I think, I think he initially regretted his choice when you know he found out what the initial attack on the colony meant, but mm-hmm. yeah, not. And he will get his uh, one up, and especially with Morden, because he will have the shadow base bombed on Centauri Prime, and Morden will be have his head on a pike. But even then, Londo then gets a keeper, and still has to do the bidding of the shadows and the shadows agents. So it, it, he's got a long road ahead of him before it's all said and done. Unfortunately for Londo. Mm, let's see, Jesse. Uh, Jesse doesn't agree about John, with John about Londo. Londo won't be the right uh, do the right thing unless he has to. And she's not wrong. Takes him a long time to do the right thing, and he wants he wants the uh, the power, even though he doesn't admit to that. But and he also wants his his people to go back to the stars, and uh, so he's going to do anything that will further that goal for quite a while in the series before he starts to realize that he's just a bad dude. I mean, he absolutely has a turning point after Narn gets pummeled, and, and he starts helping. Jakar um, during that whole escapade, but the, the really the big turning point is when he turns his back on the shadows and again bombs their base. But he does that not because he's seen the right of his ways. He just knows that Centauri Prime is going to be the first one bombed in Smithereens because they have Shadow Tech. So yeah. he's still doing it for what's best for him and what's best for Centauri, not what's right. Question. I continue to be amazed at how prophetic Emily is. She. Yes almost always is just spot on with her predictions which is i think why she won the poll um she says are the technomages not warning everyone because it would cause a panic well partially that's that's correct but uh amazing that she would come up with that um would they panic and make things worse uh yes uh and a little no but mostly yes Mm -hmm. is the story about londo telling um well is is the fact that he narrates is is londo telling the story about what happened and his part in the coming war Mm -hmm. pretty much yeah and i think uh, mike and i both during the gathering said that this is londo's story and we are watching it play out and he will also narrate part of in the beginning the uh the the first our second b5 movie and the story that we see comes to somewhat of an end with Londo's end. Although we do know there's a, some other stuff that happens after Londo leaves the scene, much like David getting his own keeper. But um, that is all stuff that, you know, is ancillary to the main story, which I think truly is Londo. You're absolutely right. I think there would be people who would argue that this is also Sheridan and to a lesser extent, Delenn's story, and, and they wouldn't be totally wrong in saying that. Um, I guess it just depends on, you know, which character you either identify with more or find more interesting. But um, I've I've always really gravitated towards the Sheridan and Delenn part of the story. But um, I'm I've always been such a fan of Peter Jurassic's acting and the story arc that uh, there's really something for everybody when you watch this. 
Uh, Andrew um, says Londo will get to the point where he will see the light, but only after the worst happens. Uh, absolutely hit the nail on the head. So his prediction is really good. Uh, and then he says the techno mages will return because they will have to. I don't think we have any evidence of that whatsoever. The only other involvement from techno mages that we have uh, in the uh, the movies or series uh, is what Scott alluded to with with Galen and Crusade, I believe. Yep. Nope. The techno mages were not lying. They're leaving. They're yeah, out. Yeah, we never see the the techno mage order again. No, and I can see you know a lot of that's a trope thing from a lot of shows is you know you leave the uh, the, the those groups in your back pocket and they swoop in at the end of the day to save everybody, which Babylon Five absolutely does with the first ones. But right, yeah, no, not the techno mages. We'll talk again next week when we get to a distant star. But until then, again, just a reminder to like, share, subscribe, leave a review, and check out our social media pages as well as our patreon and our Redbubble for merch if you can do that as well too it helps the show grow i'm scott and with me has been kevin and mike and we'll talk to you next week bye well how do you do sir i'm looking for the lady of the house assuming you're not the lady of the house anyway i'm here to sell you something to make your life easier cleaner and all around happier yes sir the acne handy dandy micro helper right here in this box green purple